Welcome back to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study Parashat HaShavua in six segments. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom, and in the previous podcast, we studied the beginning of Parashat Yitro, the first 12 sukim. We discussed the identity of Yitro, the um, issue of what it was that motivated Yitro to come, what it is that he heard, and various opinions regarding that and uh, his arrival with uh, with Sipporah and Moshe's two sons to the camp. And now we will begin by looking at Pasuk Yod Gimel. In this section, this segment, we will look at the rest of the Perak, which as I outlined in the previous podcast, uh, the Perak really is an independent literary unit in this case, uh, chapter 18. Uh, and uh, the second half of it is the story of Yitro's advice and Moshe's actions in that light. So we'll take a look first at the Psukim, Pasuk by Pasuk. Uh, we will then uh, discuss some of the uh, difficulties with the text along the way. And then we will take a look at what seems to be a contradictory text uh, in Sefer Dvarim relating to this incident, and then conclude by several observations about the overall structure of, of this story. Vahimi Mocharat. So, Pasuk Yud Gimel, Vahimim it was the following day, on the morrow, which means the day after Yitro had arrived and all of the elders with Moshe and Aaron had joined him for Korbanot in the feast. So the next day, Vayeshev Moshe lishpot et ha'am. Moshe sat to judge the people. Vayamor ha'am al Moshe min ha'boker ad ha'arev. And the people um, stood over Moshe, literally, uh, from morning until evening. And the way that this is generally understood is that Moshe was sitting and all of the people were waiting lined up in order to meet with Moshe because they had juridical issues to deal with uh, and it was all day, which means on the one hand Moshe was completely consumed with this effort, uh, being the sole judge of the people. On the other hand, the people had to wait in line forever dealing with this. A beautiful Midrash Chazal, I mean, Haboker Arev telling us that a judge who judges perfectly and truly and uh, without favor uh, or prejudice is considered to be a partner with God in creation, and they get that from Minaboker Min Arev and the famous Vahir Vaivoker in the story of creation in chapter 1 of Rashid. Uh, but continuing on, Vayar Chotein Moshe, a kol so Chotein Moshe, and again in the previous podcast to discuss what that may mean, either Moshe's father-in-law or Moshe's brother-in-law, either way it's Yitro, sees et kol Oselam, what he was doing to the people. And that's an interesting point because typically we think about this story about Moshe as being what the people were doing to Moshe, what Moshe was doing to himself, and taking all of his time judging the people. But here the take is that uh, it's what he was doing to the people, and and uh, the people are the victims, as it were, are the ones coming up shortchanged. And here we hear Yitro's explanation. What is it that you're doing to the people? So why are you sitting alone? Meaning sitting alone in judgment, and the whole pe- all, all the people are standing over you from morning until evening. And again, the emphasis in his words is not on. Moshe's uh, exhaustion and, uh, um, and inability to attend to any other issues, but rather the people having to stand there the entire time. Um, this scene 
and we'll get to it when we, when we finish, and the issue of structure also speaks to us about the timing of this event, uh, and a very large machloket rishonim, uh, that, uh, that sort of begins here. Uh, what is Moshe's response to his father-in-law? When the people come to me to seek out God, lidrosh Elohim. Now normally lidrosh Elohim, that phrase is used elsewhere in Tanakh to mean uh, some sort of supplication or to find out, uh, as supplication as in dirshuni v'chiyu in Amos, or uh, lidrosh Elohim being to try to seek some answers from God uh, about um, some perilous situation coming up and how things will play out. Here, it is Lidrosh Elohim in the sense of getting the judgment. And the name for God used in this story, Elohim, uh, is both a generic enough name that Moshe can comfortably use it with his um, Midianite uh, relative, but also one that speaks to judgment. And therefore, Ki Elohim Davar Ba'elai, when they have some matter that comes to me, I judge between a man and his friend. And then I inform them about God's laws and God's statutes, or God's statutes and God's instructions. Now, this line itself speaks very much to the issue of when this entire event is happening. Uh, as we are aware, uh, there is the, the more common school based on the Gemara and Masach Psachim, uh, that maintains Ein Muktam Um Uchar Torah. The Torah's narratives are not necessarily in chronological order. However, even that school will admit that whenever they are out of chronological order, there has to be a good reason for it and a good explanation. And then there is the voice of the Ramban, usually uh, somewhat of the, the iconoclast in this case, saying that unless indicated explicitly otherwise, as in uh, at the beginning of Bamidbar compared to the ninth chapter of Bamidbar, uh, that in other, all other cases we read the narratives as really following in the order chronologically in which they're presented sequentially. Uh, and therefore, the question is, does Yitro's arrival in this entire scene take place before Matan Torah, which we have yet to read about in this week's podcasts, uh, or did it take place afterwards? And the pasuk that really drives the school of Ein Mukdam Muchar Torah is right here. Because people come before me for judgment. Now, up until that point, one could make the argument that Moshe is leading the people, and uh, certainly the case, and they have camped, and there are all sorts of squabbles and difficulties and differences uh, between neighbors regarding property, regarding where they camp, etc., uh, and regarding lost items, who, who knows? And, uh, and there, those, uh, those disputes come before Moshe to adjudicate. However, the minute that he says, I inform them of God's statutes and his instructions, it sounds as if Moshe is, has already got Moshe, God's laws and instructions and is then able to judge based on those. And uh, that we don't need to say the Torah Tav refers to Torah Shavichtam and Torah Shavalpeh, as some Midrashim will have it, but just the idea of the specific instructions of the Torah would then in, uh, indicate that this entire scene happened, happened uh, after Matan Torah, and then Yitro's arrival, because this is the day afterwards, Yitro's arrival is after Matan Torah, uh, which, uh, and then again, we will discuss that at the end of this podcast. So Moshe, so this is, this is Moshe's defense of his behavior. 
Ve'yemar choten Moshe elav. So Moshe's choten, again, uh, father-in-law, brother-in-law says to him, Yitro says to him, Lo tov hadavar asher ata oseh. Lo tov hadavar asher ata oseh, what you're doing is not good. Now notice that if we pick up on the Midrashic theme, that uh, the judge judging properly is considered to be a partner with God in creation based on Boker and Erev, then the Lotov Hadavar seems to be speaking against that, because, of course, the key word in Maaseh Bereshit is Tov. Vayar lehim ki Tov. It shows up seven times in one form or another in that narrative, and here it's Lotov Hadavar Shatah perhaps indicating that this is not the proper way to judge. And here is Yitro's explication of his assessment that this is no good. In Pasuk Yod Chet, Navol Tibol, Gamata, Gamaamazah, Shaimach. Navol Tibol means you're going to wither away. You will indeed dry out, as it were. You and Haamazah, Asher Imach. And as some of the Rishonim point out here, Ravam Benoshal Rambam, for instance, that sometimes in Hebrew we'll use the conjunctive and, gam, even at the beginning of a list, whereas normally, let's say in English, it uh, typically goes after the first item on the list. But why is that gam added there? In order to stress that you also are going to wither. In other words, as a leader, this is not a responsible act because all of your energies and all of your time are devoted to this. And what's the reason for this? This matter is too weighty for you. You cannot do it alone. Now, what's interesting here is that Yitro has seen Moshe, and we presume that this is now at the end of the day, because Yitro's already seen them standing over him from morning until evening, so that it's the end of the day that Yitro makes this comment, not in the middle of the day, and indeed Moshe was able to accomplish it. So why does Yitro say, after Moshe was able to? Does he mean that with time, over time, this is going to become too much? Or perhaps this might be an argument in favor of Yesh Muktam Muchar, and they have not yet received the Torah, and in anticipation of that, the amount of laws and the breadth of the laws is going to increase to the point where then it really will become unwieldy uh, for Moshe to do alone. That is the problem. And then Yitro offers his advice. Now, why is Yitro particularly suited for this advice? You have to remember that we're dealing with 600,000 men, a huge nation, several million strong, of people who have been slaves for the last two generations, seemingly, that's the way the Ramban reads it, uh, for that length of time, which means none of these people grew up as free or autonomous people, and there, there was no notion of government among them, there was no tradition of government among them, uh, because they never were really self-governing, even at an earlier time in their history. And so therefore they didn't have the mechanism for that, and then suddenly we have all of these people and nobody's telling them what to do, no slave masters or taskmasters. And so it falls to Moshe to tell them what to do. Yitro, on the other hand, is a chieftain. And uh, as such, even though it's a admittedly much smaller tribe, we have no idea how big Midian or that tribe of Midian was, but it's not the size of an Israel. But nonetheless, it's still a tribe, and they still have disputes and land issues or property issues marital issues, whatever it may be. And as a leader, he understands that there is a need for the following advice. And he introduces it with the word ata. And now, ata or ve'ata is something that shows up in Tanakh numerous times, but always in a dialogue, never the voice of the text. And ata, which means and now, now, is always an effect. In other words, there is a cause and an effect. 
Hashem has done all of this for you. Now, what is it that God asks of you? Or um, uh, uh, Rivka says to Yaakov in Parak of Zayin of Breshit, I heard your father telling Esav to go hunt and bring it in. And now, here's what you got to do. So, now, now here, you listen to me. Interesting, Yaakov. I'm going to give you advice. And this phrase can go one of two ways, which means I'm going to give you advice, and the result of it is that God will be with you, because this is sound advice. Or, I'm going to give you advice, and my advice, along with God being with you, is going to then determine the success. Either way, here's what Yitro's advice is. Now, the word mul in modern Hebrew means facing. I'm standing opposite. But mul in Tanakh actually means somewhat the opposite of that, in that you are on the same side as. So, atam mul ha'elohim, which means you're going to be on the same side with God, and you're going to bring the words to God. This pasuk itself is a little bit cryptic, and we'll figure out what it means from the next pasuk. You shall warn them, meaning the people, the chukim and torot, the same two words that Moshe used before, the statutes and the instructions, and you inform them of the path that they should take and the actions that they should be doing. Uh, important to note that Chukim and Torot, which are the two words that Moshe used earlier, seem to, in this context, be referring to interpersonal squabbles and, uh, and, and adjudicating those. seems to be more of instruction when people come and ask, how should I do this? What we might think of as She'ilat Rav coming to the, the master and asking for instruction on what's the proper way to behave. Haderach yel chuva, seems to be more broader, and tamaser shayasun, more specific, as far as their particular actions. And again, this pasuk, like the earlier one, does, really does militate in favor of this event taking place after Matan Torah, because there's a derech and there's a maaseh, all of these things have been informed. And again, at the end, we'll take a look at that. Um, but this now, this Instruction, then seems to explain for us what Yitro meant in the previous Pasuk, which means you're going to um, bring the problem to God, you're going to get the instruction, but then you're going to give them as the group the instruction. In other words, what's the scenario that Yitro paints? Not that you're going to sit there and speak to each individual, but rather you're going to stand sort of, as it were, on God's side, Mulai Elohim. You're going to bring the complaints to God, God will inform you, and then you're going to inform everybody. And then you're going to have mass information. Now, at this point, it sounds like everybody is all of Bnei Yisrael, Atalam. However, Yitro then cuts that as follows. That v'ata techazeh mikoham anshechayu. Look at those qualities. But what is it you're going to look for? You have to identify from all of the people, people with these qualities. So before we look at the qualities, let's see what the scenario is, the way that, that Yitro seems to be describing it. Moshe, you stand facing the people. You're going to instruct them of the God's laws that he's given to you. And uh, and then the, and and then inform them of the path that they should take. 
Who is it you're going to speak to? You can't speak to the whole people. First of all, not all the people are capable of understanding that. Second of all, we're talking about several million people. So who is it that you should speak to? First select from the people, Anshei Chayil. Anshei Chayil has one of two meanings, and it may mean both here. Uh, Anshei Chayil, in some regards, means people of valor, as, for instance, David is called an Ish Chayil in his description in Shmuel Aleph Perk on the other hand, uh, we have Gibor Chayil, which seems to mean somebody of great wealth. Um, <clears throat> and that will play out two ways in the rest of the Pasuk, and we'll look back at it in a moment. Yirei Elohim, people who fear God. Anshei Amet, people of truth. We understand those two qualities as critical for the position that these people are going to put in, which we'll find out in a moment. So Vatsa, people who hate Betza. Now Betza, the way that it is used in Tanakh, means ill-gotten gains. Um, or it could be really any, any money. The reason that the word betza means that is levatseya is to cut something in half. And the way that very primitive currency was used is there would be some precious metal. And when you were going to pay stuff for something, you would cut part of it out, and that would be a betza. So Yehuda says, Ma betza What's the gain that we get? If we kill our brother, we don't get any money. Let's sell him uh, um, as a slave. The, the famous line, uh, in, uh, in Parshat Vayeshev. And so these are people who are sonevatsa, which means they, they don't want to get money. Now, don't want to get money takes us back to the first description. What is Anshechayel? If Anshechayel means people of valor, then we have essentially four different descriptions here. One is about their courage. One is about, is about their religious sensibility. Your Elohim, their religious sensitivity. Anshechayel is people of conviction and truth. And Sonevatsa is people who are, have no interest in money. The other possibility is that we have here in these four phrases is something of a circle. On Sheikhayel, people of wealth, is going to lead to them being Sonevatsa. They, you can't be bought. They can't be bought because they've got wealth. And therefore they're, they're away from corruption. Now, that's not a guarantee. There are many people who are very wealthy who are still corruptible because they want to become more wealthy or because they've been trained to think of money as something that, as much as they can get, they'll get. And therefore, the middle phrases help to guide them. Your A, Elohim, and Anshayamet, together, meaning people who fear God, and people who are people of truth, which means they come to a true reckoning about themselves and about their own place, and therefore about their ability to, in an, in an unprejudiced way, see the law and see the case. Therefore, because they're Anshayachayel, they'll also be Sonevatsa. And can't be bought. Two different ways to look at this, either as a linear phrase of four or as a circle of Achechayel and Sonevetsa on the outside, sort of as a uh, inclusio, and on the middle, the internal traits that they would need in order to make sure that their wealth doesn't lead to corruption, but the opposite saves them from corruption. In any case, what we need is uncorruptible, uncorruptible people, and those are the people that you're going to instruct, not everybody. And then the Samta Alehem. Now, what's the alehem here? The samta alehem could mean that you put uh, over them. But to put over them, etc., meaning some sort, of, some sort of a system where there is a hierarchy of people who are in charge of thousands, of people in charge of hundreds, uh, or, pay, or perhaps uh, you're selecting from that, amount of, from that amount of people, from every thousand pick one, and then from every hundred you pick another one to be under him. Either way, Alehem sh- couldn't mean that. So what is Samta Alehem? 
seems to mean alehem here in the sense of imam. Samta alehem being more that you're going to place uh, sort of with them um, these uh, these people who are then going to help them uh, and going to assist them. So that mean, it sounds like these on Chayil uh, that you have are going to be sort of the chief judges, and then you're going to have minor judges who are of all of these numbers. Um, the other possible way of reading, which is the more traditional approach, is to say there's a pool of people who you're going to instruct, and they have to fit these qualities. The other people aren't part of the instruction. Once you have identified and taught them these, the information, then you're going to divide them into a hierarchical system where some will be in charge of every thousand members of society and somebody in hundreds and some of fifties and some, some of tens. Now, to say that for every ten people in the society you have somebody who's a judge seems to be a very high ratio um, of, uh, of judge to people. So what it may mean is just that within that group there is one person who has the instruction and therefore can judge. And as such, when you have a relatively small group of people and there's some sort of a minor dispute, they can bring it to the local fellow who is the representative of the court. Uh, when you have a larger issue, then you're going to go to the person who is the Sarha Meah, perhaps the Sarha Elif. Um, in any case, that is what Yitro advises Moshe to do. And it sounds like Yitro is bringing it from his own, of his own experience. And now what are they going to do? Here's the layout. In Pasuk Chafet, They will judge the people at all times. Now what's Bechol Eit? As opposed to you, Moshe, who make them sit from morning till evening until finally you get to them, they can judge people at all times because they're available and they don't have several million people to judge. And now what will be the play? Any great thing they'll bring to you. Who will bring to you? They will bring to you means the judges will bring to you as a higher court matters that are beyond their ken. Anything small, relatively insignificant, or relatively easy, they themselves will judge. And as a result, and they'll lighten things for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Now that phrase, foreshadows for us the weighty parsha and when Moshe complains about the people, and Hashem then sends the 70 men who will bear the burden with him, using the exact same language, and Yitro ends his advice with, if, if you will, a bracha. If you do this, and and this brings us back to the beginning of the passage, where he says, and <coughs> We'll revisit at the end of the Pasuk. Then you will be able to indeed stand. Now remember how it was before? The people were standing over you. Meaning you wouldn't have a chance to stand. You were sitting in judgment. Now you'll have the ability to stand and do other things. And also this people will come in peace. In other words, instead of standing around all day. So the two problems that Yitro highlighted at the beginning, which is, you will wither, you, and this nation that's with you, everybody's going to suffer. Instead, here's the solution. You do this process, and then you will be able to stand, meaning two things. First of all, you'll be able to withstand it, and you'll be able to carry on. The other thing is, you'll have an opportunity to stand and not be sitting in judgment all day. 
And the other thing is the people who otherwise were with her, now they'll be able to come at any point for judgment, and now they'll be at peace because they won't be so tired from waiting around all day uh, for, for judgment and for uh, adjudication of their case. If we look back at the very beginning of this piece of advice, Yitro says to him uh, that... Um, Yitro says to him that... Um, uh, back in Pasuk uh, Yotet, at the beginning of the advice, he says, And then begins the advice, and in a perfect inclusio, in which he uh, concludes the advice, he says, Meaning, the two meanings that we played out. One was, means this will work as long as God is with you. Possibility too is, this will work and guarantee that God is with you. And now, how do we read it in Pasuk Chaf Gimel at the end of the advice? The same way. If you do this and indeed God commands you, which means if God confirms this, or possibility too is, if you do this, then God will command you and God will, will be with you. In either way, that is the conclusion that we are looking for, that Vitzivcha Elohim Viacholta Amod. And then Kola Amazeya al Shalom. And now we go to the very end where Moshe accepts the advice. Moshe listens and heeds his voice and does exactly what he says. Now, does this mean that our entire judicial system is something based upon what a pagan priest suggested to Moshe? I'm not sure that that's the worst thing in the world, but we're going to see a response to that query. Moshe then does the following, which means he does exactly what Yitro said, but not exactly. He picks Anshechayel. And this goes back to our description of Anshechayel as <clears throat> uh, in Pasuk uh, Chafalif, where we had Anshechayel uh, as one of the four descriptions of the, uh, um, of the uh, people he's looking for, that... <clears throat> Uh, that Anshechayel was either uh, sort of a, ge- a general statement for everybody there, or for all of the qualities, or a specific quality. And that will play out here as well. Does that mean he was only able to find Anshechayel? Um, and as, as the Ibn Ezra points out, for instance, right? Because that's something Moshe couldn't pick. Only God knows who fears him. In other words, Anshechayel is something that's obvious, or perhaps, as others have suggested, that's all he was able to find. Or perhaps on Shechayel was the catchword for all of these. People of real wealth, of real, for, of real substance, are also people who are Yerelim and, and, and Sonei Vetsa, and therefore all of these qualities were really included. We call Yisrael. And this description now tells us what Yitro meant with the Samta Alehem that we asked about earlier. Um, and that is that this group of Anshechayel then become divided up into the different layers. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that this is what Moshe did, but not necessarily what Yitro had in mind. But the first is more likely that this is what Yitro intended, even though the language is a little bit difficult. And indeed, what did they do? They did judge the people. Now, this is the past tense. And this is past perfect. It means they had judged the people. Uh, at every point, exactly as Yitro said, any time of day, a little bit odd shuruk there, yishputu, 
they brought the difficult matters to Moshe, and they themselves judged the smaller matters, which means now we've got a retrospective that this has been going on for a while, and that this is a successful system. And then Moshe sends his brother-in-law or father-in-law back, who goes back to his land. We talked about that in the previous podcast in the context of the identity of Moshe's brother-in-law, of, of Yitro, who he is, whether he's brother-in-law or father-in-law. Uh, one thing that we need to take a look at is, uh, is the beginning of Parashat Dvarim um, in, ref- in reference to our parasha. Um, at the beginning of Sefer Dvarim, the first part of Sefer Dvarim, the first couple chapters, is a historiosophy in which Moshe is retelling the history of Bnei Israel at different points in the desert. It's not told in order, and it's certainly not all-inclusive, uh, but it hits certain points that are evidently necessary for the beginning of Moshe's farewell speech. And he begins by saying that, Vomar Lechem in Pasuk Tet, Perak Aleph, Essentially, you are numerous, very numerous. And God should increase you a thousandfold, just like He promised. But of course, you're very numerous as it is, and therefore He says, How can I alone bear all of your fighting and your difficulties and your challenges? And now, is this Moshe at the end of his life saying this? It seems to be, but now he seems to slip back to something that happened 39 years earlier. And he said, what I told you was, give to me people who are wise and discerning and known in your tribes and your, as leaders, and I'll put them in charge of you. And you said, and you agreed to the to the concept. Now, if this is the same story, and it's generally read as a reflection of the same story that we read in Yitro, there are several things here that are missing. Let's take a look at the one last pasuk in this uh, in this last pasuk before it goes off into an important tangent, but not a tangent for Sefer Dvarim, and that is again wise and knowing people or knowledgeable people. I put them as leaders over you, and then this phrasing really points us to Yitro's advice. And also bailiffs or officers for the Shevet. And then, from Pasuk Zion for a bit, there are directions to the judges, which we never hear in Yitro. And there's actually a mitzvah of the uh, of Lotagrum Neish, that is found here, a mitzvah that really shows up for the first time here in Pashat Dvarim, that a judge has to not be afraid of anybody and not show it's a, a flavor of the prohibition we find both in Mishpatim and Kedoshim of not favoring anybody in, in judgment. But Lotagrum Neish, which shows up in uh, Pasuk Yod Zayin. And at the end of that advice, he says, Hadavar anything that's too hard for you, you bring to me. So this seems to be filling in the rest of the story from Yitro when Moshe uh, appoints the judges that he then directs them, and this is the instructions that he gives to the judges and, uh, and sets up the system whereby anything that's too hard for them, they will bring to him. The problem is that in Sefer, in Parashat, in Sefer Dvarim that we just read, 
the idea is Moshe, as Yitro is not mentioned, and Moshe does not appoint them, he brings them to the people and allows the people to appoint the judges. Why is it that this story is told differently? And of course, this is a, this is a critical issue because it's something that cuts to the uh, issue of source criticism, which is sort of the thorniest area of biblical criticism, and the claim that uh, Sefer Dvarim really was a document written at this time, and the story of Yitro was written later, and it was based on that story, etc., and that there are deliberate changes and manipulations in the text, which is, of course, the way of the critics. Um, but there's actually a quite, quite, a, quite simple explanation to these differences. Rabbi David Tzvi Hoffman, in his commentary in Sefer Dvarim, makes these observations, is that um, the, the purpose of Moshe's speech is, uh, in Dvarim is not to be historic. As I said, it's historiosophy. He's trying to teach particular lessons. Uh, Yitro's role in this is really of no significance. Uh, and bottom line, it wasn't Yitro's advice, it was Moshe's, Moshe's decision to take that advice that counts. Yitro can advise all he wants, but if Moshe doesn't accept it, it's not going to happen. But the second thing is that even though Moshe was the one to select the people, there was clearly an interest, as we see in Tvarim, that the people have an investment in who their leaders are going to be. And as such, Moshe requested of them, you hand over the people that you think are going to be appropriate. But then Moshe says, in Tvarim. I took the heads, which means the final decision was really Moshe's decision about who to accept as a leader and as a judge, and uh, when you read it through Dvarim, understanding it from that perspective, and from the perspective of the rest of Moshe's speech uh, there, then it, it is it's clear uh, what the reason for those differences are, and they do not speak to either contradiction or multiple authorship or any of the other claims of the critics, but rather to the different purpose of Parshat Dvarim.